This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Welcome back this afternoon. Um, before we have prayer, I want to tell you that this is the one I've been driving to the most. This one and the next one. Because at GYC, they passed this book out on receiving the Holy Spirit for a reason. Because it is the push here. The process of sanctification. Today, I hope that you have an aha moment on how this actually happens. And it'll be so simple that you're. when I first saw it, I was, wow, that's why we're missing it. And I want you to see it, and um, it's going to change everything. The way you view the process, or how we're sanctified, and then the process of staying sanctified. We'll look at that in, at the second lecture. Your title, hmm? uh, Hamet, Ham, Helmet Hobble. Um, it's called Being Filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to see exactly how that happens. Um, your titles are called, I changed the title. Um, I was going to do one on the law at the end, but I decided to just give you the whole wheel of faith. So Bare Naked is not going to be our title. This title is the worst 15 minutes of my life. And then the second one is the Battle of the Titans. And they're both on the process of sanctification. So let's get started and have prayer and ask God's presence. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful once again as we can come into your presence. Um, Ask for a portion of your Holy Spirit, especially on this topic And ask that you would lead and guide and direct uh, our thoughts. Help us to grasp this simple yet very deep point that we need to make. And would you bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know where we've been. I don't have to review too much because it's we've been going at it pretty quickly here. So what is, happens when you make that commitment to die to self, right? That's the big question, and I think everyone knows um, where we are headed on this. And Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is the giveaway. It's, the gospel is clear. Now when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, repent and let everyone of you be baptized. Now we got a good grasp on what that means, Right? In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to look at another term for that, besides the process of sanctification. In Hebrews 10, verse 14 says this, For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So through the offering, this is a, a subtle hint, we'll get more direct in a minute. Through the offering, those are, they are becoming sanctified. Once the offering is made, once the offering is accepted in their behalf, now the process of sanctification can begin in their life. The word sanctification, I, I want to spend a little time looking at it. It's, it's really not that difficult of a word. It's hagios, and it just really simply means to be set apart. In fact, the word Holiness and sanctification are the same word from Hagios, and they mean that God is setting you apart. And it makes absolute sense when we think about dying to self. 
when you're dead and you made that commitment to be dead, you're no longer under Adam, the first Adam, you're under the second Adam, a new life, a new creation. It would make sense that God is going to now separate you and pull you out of the world to make you a new creation. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says it this way, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So sanctification is is clearly part of the process that God uses in the gospel once we have been justified by faith, and that is to come along in our life, once we're put to death and repentance and all that stuff, now He's got a process where He makes us the new man. Right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says it this way, "...and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness." So we have a righteousness for us, a righteousness that covers us in the process of justification, but then sanctification is that righteousness that's created within us. That is that new Christ-like character. It's something that I didn't get either when I was young, and I'm going to explain that a little bit. Uh, to me, sanctification was pitched a very different way. But I should have known in those first 10 years of my life, if my life wasn't changing, if there wasn't a righteousness developing within me, that then calls into question my justification, that something was wrong over here on this side of the wheel of faith. And that's what I I want you to see. There's some fallacies out there. There's some teachings that sanctification is optional. And I think, I hope at least most of us realize that that's not true. And we're going to see why Scriptures doesn't leave us that kind of option. It comes out of actually the late 1900s or the late 1800s, the early 1900s, the old holiness movements, the Keswick movement, the Oberlin movement, uh, Phoebe Palmer. You've read about her and some of the other whites, right? And she was part of that. And they taught that that you could have the second blessing later in your life. Once you receive Christ and you was justified by faith, you were saved in his, his kingdom. And then at some point later down the road, you could receive the Holy Spirit and be sanctified and become a spiritual man, is what they called it. And so they had this belief that you could be saved, but you didn't have to be sanctified. And we're going to see scriptures, there's no room for that in the scriptures. If you're justified, you have to be sanctified. There's there's no option to that. Um, In fact, we want to look at when does sanctification actually take place? And 2 Corinthians 5.17 is, is one of those great texts that tells me that it's not optional. It doesn't happen at some time later in your life. I mean, before we were Adventists in my family, we grew up around the Pentecostals. And Pentecostals come out of the holiness movement. They're one of the recipients of it. And they teach truly that, right, you can, once you receive the Holy Spirit or, or once you're saved and you're baptized, then you can receive the Holy Spirit sometime later down on the road in your life. And what you have to do to receive the Holy Spirit is pray, 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 and then you speak in tongues. It's very similar to some of the things you might hear every now and then floating around in our own church. You haven't received the Holy Spirit because you haven't prayed hard enough. And so we go through these 40 days of prayers, 40 days of prayers. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, but I'm saying that the that receiving the Holy Spirit does not depend upon how much you pray. And you have to understand that that's going to be the hopefully the aha moment in a moment <laughs> that you'll understand when you receive it. Second Corinthians five, verse 17 says it this way. Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
You cannot be any more in Christ than at conversion, at baptism. You are in Christ and you are a new creation. Corinthians is telling us you receive the Holy Spirit the moment you're converted. The moment you are put to death and you make that final plea to God, that final commission, I want to be dead to self, I want the new life, God sends the Holy Spirit immediately into your life. It's not something you have to beg for and plead for until it happens. It's something that has happened if you're converted. And I have another great text that I think elucidates this really well. In the book, First Selected Messages. And you got to catch this. Now you heard Elder Wilson talking about your title for heaven and your fitness for heaven. Justification is our title for heaven. Sanctification is our fitness. So what is she talking about in the first sentence here? We can be fitted for heaven only through the work of the Holy Spirit upon the heart. For we must have Christ's righteousness as our credentials if we would find access to the Father. This is a very important statement. Because it tells me how I am to be fitted for heaven, how I am to have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit, is if I have Christ's righteousness as my credential. Meaning, therefore, these steps that we went through, these first six steps are extremely important because they're how you actually receive the Holy Spirit. They're how the process of sanctification happens. And somehow we're missing it. We're constantly talking about sanctification, sanctification, pray, 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 pray for the Holy Spirit, when the way you receive the Holy Spirit is through receiving the righteousness of Christ, which are the first six steps. That becomes my credential, just like your little badge here, right? This is the righteousness of Christ. In order to get this, I had to do certain things. I had to meet the conditions. I had to pay a certain amount of money. I had to fill out certain forms. It becomes my credential. It's my righteousness. And when the Holy Spirit sees that I have the righteousness of Christ, then He shows up and fills me with your Holy Spirit. So if we don't have the Holy Spirit, it's not because we're not praying enough, though praying is important. It's because we have not received His righteousness. And we have not received His righteousness because we are skipping these steps. I mean, I think that makes much more sense than we're not praying enough. Because if we pray anymore, my goodness, we're praying and praying generation after generation after generation and we're still not getting there. And it leads to kind of a spiritual frustration. When the truth is, if I understood my need and I cried out for His righteousness and I came to Him and I fell under conviction and I moved into a true heart sorrow for sin and repentance and died to self, the Holy Spirit would be there because that's what He's looking for. So at baptisms, what the text is saying at baptisms, when people are coming up, I was baptized with a group of people. I'm pretty sure the person that I was baptized with was a very uh, sincere person. I believe that they understood righteousness by faith. Let's assume that they did. She had the credential. She gets up there. She's coming into the tank. She has the righteousness of Christ. She's been going through the steps. She understood it. And when she went down into the water and come up, that was her credential. The Holy Spirit said, oh, she's got the righteousness of Christ. They've been through the steps, the conditions. Fill her with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Damon comes along. <laughs> right? I come up, I go into the baptismal tank. Where's his credential? Well, he did the 14 Amazing Facts Bible studies. That's not the credential. Well, he's, he understands the 2300 years. Oh, that's great, but that's not the credential. Where is his credentials? I didn't even know about credentials. So I go down, I get wet, I come up. I don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still on the outside of me, still trying to woo me, still trying to help me to understand, but he's not internal deep down helping me. 
That's how important, I hope you see how important the topic of righteousness by faith is, or justification by faith, or these steps, they're profoundly important. Because if we're wanting to be a generation that goes out into the world, if we're wanting to be a generation that finally brings about the latter rain, then my goodness, when are we going to start talking about these steps over here? When are we going to quit treating them like they're kiddie pool stuff? That's why I'm ashamed almost to tell people when I was up on the stage the first night, I almost didn't want to say the word gospel. Because I knew that the moment I said I'm going to be talking about the gospel, people were going to go, okay, let's go do something else. They weren't not going to come. So I was trying to be artful and find some way to talk about it because we dismiss it. But these are powerful steps. This is the way to sanctification. Notice that when you go through Romans, there's only two chapters there that's powerfully talking about the Holy Spirit. The first five chapters are all about how to be justified. Same thing with steps to Christ. Most of the bulk of her writing is on how to be justified, how to receive his righteousness. Chapters seven and eight are the only ones that that really deal with sanctification. Because the real work is over here on this side of the circle, the side of the circle we know the least about. Oh, we know that Jesus died for our sins. We get that, that he paid the penalty, but what about his righteousness? What about the judgment? What about receiving that? What about these other points where if we were following these points, man, this church would be set on fire. There'd be nothing in our way. And this is what Romans 6 verse 22 says. Let's go to Romans because it's right after he talks about dying to self. Romans 6, at the very last of 22, as he begins in chapter 7 and 8, talking about the Holy Spirit. But when we get into Romans 6, 22, listen to what Paul says. He couldn't be clearer. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to hagios. It's the word for holiness or sanctification. Same word. And the end everlasting life. It's a fruit. It cannot help but to come. But we're so focused on the fruit that we're forgetting how to get to the fruit. I mean, it's not bad to focus on sanctification. I think it's great. But if that's all that we focus on and we miss this part of the wheel over here, we'll never have the fruit. Because the fruit comes once you have been put to death. Once you have your, you become a slave to God and set free from sin through righteousness. Then the fruit bears the process of sanctification. It's an automatic thing. Now, for me, when I came into the church, of course, there was a heavy dosage of talking about sanctification. I was 18 years old. All right, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Doctrines? Yes. I got all that. Then it was all about, well, get to work. Get busy. Because sanctification is the process where we're working, where we're going out doing stuff and we're interacting and doing Bible studies. And that's why I became a Bible worker, a literature evangelist. I got involved in all these things. And I fell into a deadly, deadly trap that I hope that you have not fallen into. And I hope that we can avoid that. That to me, sanctification became associated with doing stuff, working. You know, one of my favorite places in the world to shop would be, well, we're in Texas, y'all should know, (laughs) feed store. I love going to feed stores. The smell of the molasses, the leather, the the agricultural equipment. It's got a certain smell. When you go in a health food store, you got that smell. No matter where you go, they all smell the same. Feed stores are the same way. And in a feed store, what kind of music are they playing? Yeah, y'all know it ain't hip hop or classical or Christian. It's country. 
And, you know, I quit listening to country music years ago because most of it's just unfit. But some of it every now and then has got talks about they talk about their conversion experience. They talk about God and family. And so sometimes I'll listen and tune in. Well, I was in this uh, feed store this one day and and I was listening to the loudspeaker and the guy was singing about giving up stuff. He was singing about last night. I gave up drinking. I gave up women. I gave up smoking and five. I was giving all this stuff up. And I was like, okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. I'm waiting for him to come right along and say, talk about his Jesus moment. And then he said this in the chorus. He says, it was the worst 15 minutes of my life. It was like, okay, my my opinion of country music has not changed. The worst 15 minutes of his life because of all the stuff that he quit doing. And he did it for about 15 minutes. And it was a miserable experience. And when I came into the church, it was the worst 15 minutes of my life. Because when I came in, I got heaped with what I call the Seventh-day Adventist list. You know what I'm talking about the moment you see it. Church offices. I mean, immediately. I was 18 years old. I didn't know nothing. I was all of a sudden, well, where can we fit him in at church offices, church trainings, workshops, seminars, evangelism? Right. Dress and diet and health. Spirit of prophecy. If you know what that means, all those books, they gave me a stack of books this tall. Right. They made me disaster coordinator, which I do not know why. But they thought I needed to be disaster coordinator for for Cleveland, Texas. Uh, They made me a pathfinder leader, which I had no clue about pathfinder. They gave me a manual and said, well, just study it. Literature evangelist, uh, I eventually became a deacon. I taught Sabbath school to the little kids. They said, we got to get involved, get him up front. How many times have you heard this nonsense? We got to get them busy or they're going to leave the church. I'm telling you, they will not leave the church because they're not busy. They'll leave the church because they don't know Christ. And I was a top A choleric personality. I loved to work. And so the list, man, I took the list and it, I piled on all kinds of stuff. Religious liberty campaigns, the dreaded in-gathering. We used to do that, knock on the door for uh, disaster services. And then there are hundreds of other lists on that items. Entertainment, church traditions, holiness standards, church school, child education, proper music, reverence in the sanctuary, Bible study, obedience, outreach. And manner of observing the Sabbath and not to mention church board, school board potlucks. I mean, you think about the stuff when you come into the church that you get hit with and that becomes your sanctification. That if you're doing all that, that means you're being sanctified. At least that was my opinion of it. It's not our theology. We don't teach that. But well-meaning people, that's kind of how they skewed me towards. You've done to receive Jesus. You believe he's your savior, right? Forget about the next five steps. You believe in him. Now you've got the Holy Spirit. So get busy and go to work. If you're not working, it's because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And how many times I've heard that, just pray and pray and pray for the Spirit. Man, it is a tragedy. Now, the list is good. The list is good. Don't make me wrong. It gives our church structure. It gives our church purpose, direction. It gives us a way to reach the world. We need the list, but the list is not sanctification. I'm not sanctified by my works. I'm not sanctified by what I do. Rather, I do what I do because I'm sanctified. Working and doing in the list is always the product of sanctification, which is the product of being justified by faith through his righteousness. It always works in that order. 
But when I was a young man, that sanctification was placed way up here in the front and everything was about getting me busy and going to work. And what I truly needed was to be introduced to the wheel of faith, to the steps. And this is the main issue because the list can be a dangerous thing when it's out of place. Let me ask you, and you know the answer to this, can unconverted people keep the list? You better bet that the Pharisees and Sadducees have a list. Ten times what this thing is. They were masters at list keeping. Unconverted people can keep a list and be fooled into thinking that they're converted because they're keeping the list. And that's the dangerous part about it. And that's what happened to me. It's exactly what happened to me. I thought because I was out there painting the church on a work bee that I was, I'm good with God. Because I was mowing the grass or, or passing out literature. Those are great things. And God used them in His way, but they were not what it meant to be sanctified. I couldn't have been sanctified. Not in the way I needed to be because I wasn't really justified by faith. Listen to this. It is true that there may be an outward correctness of deportment without the renewing power of Christ. The love of influence and the desire for the esteem of others may produce a well-ordered life. Self-respect may lead us to avoid the appearance of evil. A selfish heart may perform generous actions. By what means then shall we determine whose side we are on? She's asking the same question. She's talking about the list, the doing. How can we determine then if my list keeping is actually legitimate or illegitimate? (laughs) That is what the first six steps to Christ are about. Your list keeping can only be legitimate if you really have the Spirit. And the only way that you can have the Spirit if you've been going through the process of justification. If you are in a continual round of coming to me, the sinner's need... Conviction, repentance, dying to self. If you're doing that in a continual motion in your life, you can bet the Holy Spirit is continually working in you and your list keeping is probably legitimate. In fact, your list keeping will not overwhelm you and burn you out. Usually those that get burned out by the list is because they, they're working so very hard. It's a dangerous thing. It's a good thing, but it's a very dangerous thing. And, and Christianity can quickly become the worst 15 minutes of your life because you come to places like this and you're pumped up, you're fired up, you're ready to go to work, you go back to your church. And those are good things if it's in the right way. It's a terrible thing if you have never even been justified yet. If you don't even understand what the gospel's about. Because it can fool you. How many people do you know that's fallen into the trap of thinking it's all about what you're doing or how much money you give and they become dry as the heels of Gaboa? I mean, I, I can tell you just people all through my early Adventist life and still to this day, I took one look at them and you know they're not converted people. They're mean, angry, cantankerous, but they're always there at Sabbath morning with their Sabbath school lesson open. They're always there at the church board meeting. They're always doing and running and leading the church, but they are unconverted and the list has got them fooled. They think because they're doing and keeping the Sabbath and giving their tithe that they are converted. It can be a sign of conversion, but not necessarily. I mean, and as a pastor, the temptation is ever as present with me. It is still a temptation in my heart to think because of all the doing that I'm doing, that I'm sanctified. And the way that I know that I need to know that I'm still being sanctified is I need to stay over here in those first six steps. 
That's how I, I can know that I'm being truly sanctified and my doing is actually legitimate. If sanctification was about work, then I should be ready for translation. Because I can work. If sanctification was about how much I do and how much I work, man, I should be light years ahead of where I am. But it's not. It's because I'm getting a late start. I'm just now figuring out in the past five years that it's not about that. It is about these steps that we've been talking about. That's where I'm just recently in the past five years of my life have been really putting my focus on. And guess what's happening? Well, the Holy Spirit's showing up and there's things going on in my life like they should be. Well, how can you be sure? How can you know if your list keeping is actually legitimate? Let's return to our quote. By what means then shall we determine whose side we are on? Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? Whom has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ, our thoughts are with Him, and our sweetest thoughts are of Him. All we have and are is consecrated to Him. We long to bear His image, breathe His Spirit, do His will, and please Him in all things. Those who become new creatures in Christ Jesus will bring forth the fruits of the Spirit. He dwells in my heart by faith, and that produces love, right? Works. Faith produces works. And those works come out. When He's dwelling in my heart by faith, the first six steps, that's the love of God within me. The Holy Spirit comes within me, and it produces works. And if we can keep that right relationship and keep focused over here on the first six steps, the Holy Spirit will stay in my heart and there will be a continual work. And I don't have to fear, am I doing enough? I used to be terrified as a young man hearing sermons about the judgment like I preached the first night. And and wondering that, okay, my life is going to be reviewed before God. I'm not doing enough. I used to really think this, I'm not doing enough. That's why I went out and knocked on every door in Dorito, Louisiana. Because I was motivated by fear. It's why I became a literature evangelist. I mean, it was terrible reasons why I did all of that. It wasn't from a heart of love. It was from a heart of I'm not doing enough. I remember thinking one time I read in Spirit of Prophecy that I needed to adopt some kids. That, you, you know, if you're not taking care of the... And so I, I, for a while, I quit reading Spirit of Prophecy because I kept making a list. Oh, I got to do this. I need to do that. I can't eat that. And it became a terrible 15 minutes. I have dear friends in my family that are no longer part of the church. And they had a list problem. And that list crushed the living life out of them. And they eventually left the church. I asked my mom and dad, I asked my aunts, my uncles who used to all be Seventh-day Adventists. I asked them why they left the church. And my mother told me, she says, Damon, I just can't live up to all that stuff. I said, what stuff, mama? And she began telling me things that are on my list. The same thing with my aunt. Listen to this. While the work of the Spirit is silent and imperceptible, its effects are manifest. If the heart has been renewed by the Spirit of God, the life will bear witness to the fact. While we cannot do anything to change our hearts or to bring ourselves into harmony with God, while we must not trust at all to ourselves or our good works, 
Our lives will reveal whether the grace of God is dwelling within us. A change will be seen in the character, the habits, the pursuits. The contrast will be clear and decided between what they have been and what they are. The character is revealed not by occasional good deeds and occasional misdeeds, but by the tendency and the habitual words and acts. So I'm not saying that we don't need sanctification. Don't get me wrong there. But I'm saying if we want to truly be sanctified, we've got to go at it through the front door of righteousness, through the front door of the first six steps of the wheel of faith, through the front door of the first six steps to steps to Christ, the front door of the first five chapters of Romans. That's how we get to sanctification. We have been going at it backwards. We're going at it trying to be sanctified through coming through sanctification, and it never works that way. It's the backwards way. So if the Holy Spirit is working in my life, if we really want to be sanctified, it comes through a continual process of the justification experience. Now, I'm not talking about progressive justification like Catholics believe. They believe that you're, the process of sanctification is justifying you a little bit, 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 to at the end of time you're really justified. And I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the process of justification is something that continues in my life. And that's the process that actually leads to what it means to be set apart. Sanctification is just a word. We've made it this huge thing that it's not. It's a word that means set apart for the Holy Spirit to do His work. Well, what's the work of the Holy Spirit? It's over here. To constantly keep my mind focused on Christ, His righteousness. To constantly show me my sinner's need to constantly keep me coming to Him, to constantly keep me under conviction, to constantly bring me to a true sorrow for sin, constantly inviting me to be dead to myself, then I am filled more with the Spirit, and then He brings me right back to number one. The Holy Spirit's job is to keep me going in that wheel. That's sanctification. It's not some mysterious, mysterious exoteric experience. That we gain because we're praying so much. Praying is very important. We're told to pray for the Spirit. But praying for the Spirit, not to just magically abracadabra change me, just to magically take it away, to magically make me do it. No, sir, this is the process of how it happens. And I think by now you're starting to dawn on you that, oh, this is, this is huge. Maybe this is why we're not out being the last generation. Because I don't know about you, I hardly ever hear about these steps, ever, period, anywhere. And what's strange to me is we're told that this is the third angel's message in verity that must go to the world. (laughs) She's getting me back, ain't she? Look, sanctification is best stated this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Hebrews 12 says it this way. Verse 1 is is usually where we're at on this. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's sanctification. But how? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As I look unto Jesus, step number one, 
we're told to spend a thoughtful hour on the life of Christ. To look at His righteousness, not just in the context that, oh, He's going to give me His righteousness to me. That's true. He does that legally. But to really look at what righteousness is in His life revealed to us through the Gospels, that will always bring condemnation to me. I will always feel my sinner's need. It will always cause me to cry out for His righteousness. It will always bring a desire to come into Him. I will see something beautiful that I would like to be. It will always cause conviction. As we look into Jesus, it will always cause me to do to be repentant. As I look into Jesus, it will always cause me to want to die to what I am because I can't stand it no more. It will always lead to being filled with the Holy Spirit and sanctified. It's the answer, I think, to everything that we're, we're wanting. I've been wanting to scream out this whole series. I know it's just the gospel. But do we really know the gospel anymore? That's... Oh, I get pastors all the time. You know, at New Start, I've had nearly 100 baptisms. 70 of those have been rebaptisms. I told you that earlier. And pastors invariably will always go to where they find success. And they'll always ask me, what are you doing? Tell, tell me what, you, what, you know, what, what series are you doing? Or what, what, what tricks or gimmicks? That's what they're really asking. And I'm always like, oh, here we go. So, well, it's really just uh, steps to Christ. And they're like, okay, he doesn't want to tell me a secret. I'm like, no, man, I'm telling you, I'm a clawed, kicking hayseed from Possum Trot, Texas. I ain't nothing special. I'm just presenting the simple gospel in Steps to Christ, Acts chapter 2. It's not that complicated, and they never believe me. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. Listen to this. When we have this kind of sanctification going on in our life, it does have a, an effect. We want to be changed into that image, right? These, these two ideas are about. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ, but how does it happen? By beholding man can but admire and become more attracted to him, more charmed and more desirous to be like Jesus until he assimilates to his image and has his mind. That's the same quote taken from 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The way that we're transformed is by looking at him. And so righteousness by faith now takes on a whole new meaning other than just some theological discussion about differentiating between justification and sanctification. Is this happen right here? Or is this one overlap? Or, I mean, we get into all these theological debates and they bore us to death. The truth is that justification is the way to becoming like Christ. By keeping my eyes riveted on Him and His life. Having that great credential every morning that I wake up. I know I need to be covered by your righteousness. I know what I am, Lord. I know I'm a failure. I know I'm a flop. I know I have this great need. Keep convicting me, Lord. Keep, uh, keep bringing me into repentance. I want to be dead to myself. That's my morning credential. And as I have that morning credential, the Holy Spirit's like, yep, go down there and get some more of Him. Fill Him up. And He's going to bring me right back around. 
And this process, man, it continues and it gets us deeper and it gets us deeper and it gets us deeper. Now we can take Helmut Hobble's book. Now we can take this book and read it and pray for the Spirit. But now you know what you're praying for. Now you know what the Spirit is supposed to be doing. Not praying for the Spirit, Lord, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. I want the Spirit, I want the Spirit, I want the Spirit, I want to go out, I want to go out. And then we get so discouraged and so depressed. Well, I'm not being changed. I'm still the same old person. I got the same old battles and same old struggles. The Holy Spirit is coming, it is in your life if you've gone through the first six steps. Now we can take this and pray. Yes, the Bible tells us pray for the Spirit. But you're really going to be saying, Lord, I'm praying for the first six steps to take place in my life. In fact, the Old Testament has a really neat idea. In the Old Testament, the word for sanctification is kodash. And it has a very specific meaning. Greek is always kind of, I almost hate Greek, but it's what we focus on the most. It's ethereal and it's hard to tack down. It's abstract. But, but in the Hebrew, it's a very concrete, real language. It was pictographic, actually. And so they, they knew what they were trying to say. The word for kodesh means set apart. But it has the connotation of being set apart for destruction. Now that is an interesting thought. You're being set apart. You're being torn down. You know, all the deserts were called, all the, all the towns that bordered the desert lands were called Kodesh. Kodesh Barnea, Kodesh this. It would meant, it meant the place of being torn down. Like Kodesh Barnea means the sacred desert of wondering. <laughs> because the desert was a place that only God could live. Nothing existed in the desert. Nothing but bleached bones. And so God would drive them, Kodesh, sanctify them, drive them into the desert and strip them down and learn to trust in God alone, to love God alone. That was what sanctification was supposed to do. That's why God was so offended when they cried out for the leeks and onions. They were telling God, you're not enough. We want this or we want that. Or Where's our food, or our rest? Sanctification is to strip us down through repentance and conviction and show us our great need that we cry out for His righteousness, His covering, that we cry out to be changed and transformed. That's always the process of sanctification. Not this heightened sense of, uh, it's this is the new age stuff, which is really old age stuff, right? We're on this ascendancy to evolving into these divine beings. Well, we got our own Christian versions of that. It is true that you're going to be changed and become more and more like Christ. But the irony is we become more and more like him as we see that we're more and more unlike him. And that's what sanctification does. It's tearing me down. It's setting me apart to be destroyed. And that makes sense when you understand the first six steps. Because he's going to reveal your sin and bring you into conviction and a sorrow for sin. Destroying your flesh, what you are. Stripping you down. So that a newness can come up out of that. That was the Old Testament idea. Moses was drove into the desert, wasn't he? Jesus was driven into the desert. John the Baptist in the desert. What do you think they were learning out there? They were being kodeshed. They were being sanctified. They were learning to depend on God. That's what Jesus was learning. This is why the message of Christ and His righteousness is the message that goes to the world at the end of time. And we're told that this is the message, the first six steps. That is the message of Christ and His righteousness, which will produce a righteousness within us. But that's what goes into the world, she says, like fire in the stubble. 
When the world hears what you Adventists actually believe, we can out-gospel the gospelers. Michael Marr said that. We have a gospel unlike anything else. We have a gospel that is beautiful and powerful. It teaches that we're covered, we're a mess, we're a wreck, but we're being transformed and changed. But it happens through recognizing that. Those first six steps are everything. Babylon has a counterfeit righteousness, a counterfeit sanctification. Babylon has a sanctification that is based on merit, on the list. Think about that. The Babylonian version of sanctification is merit. It's list keeping, except it's, it's sacramental services. They go through a series of lists and then they're sanctified. So we've got to be careful with our doing and our list keeping. Our work is revealed as Seventh-day Adventists in Revelation 14, and that is to proclaim to the world these three angels' messages. And that's not just prophecy, but that's also the gospel and the gospel's full picture. We tell them at New Start all the time. I love what Dr. Gallant says to them. They come in and they start worrying because the first weekend... They've been there a week and their numbers are up and down. Their blood sugars are up. Their blood sugars are down. Their high blood pressure is up. They're losing weight. They're gaining weight. They're just all over the place. And you know what he tells them? He says, don't focus on the numbers. Work the program. Focus on the eight steps of health. And so I think that that would be good advice for us. We're so focused on what we're doing. We need to really focus on the steps to Christ. We need to focus on those first six steps and the numbers will come in line. The sanctified spirits will happen. If it's not happening, you're really not being justified. So how do you think Satan has been successful in preventing the latter rain from falling? We're not praying enough. We're not serious enough. We don't want it enough. I don't know about you, but we're told that each generation is getting worse than the one before it. So are we ever going to pray enough? Are we ever going to want it enough? That worries me, if that were true. Satan has been effectively shutting out the latter rain by shutting out the message of Christ and His righteousness. He's eclipsing the view of Jesus. He's obscuring the truth. It's right under our nose. Three, four thousand people out there at plenary session. It's right there. They're crying. They're praying. A thousand in the prayer room. They're praying for the Holy Spirit. It is right there under their nose. It's right here. But we give steps to Christ out all over Houston because it's a primer, right? It's a kitty book. The Seventh-day Adventist commentary states it this way. When Nichols is writing about Romans 6.14, he says this. This is Paul's first mention of being regenerated. And his conclusion is that sanctification in its very primal state is simply union with Christ. And that union is facilitated by the Holy Spirit. And when that union takes place continual, the result is a Christ-like character that will be seen in all the world through works. That's sanctification. I think it's simple. I mean, some of those steps are pretty tough because you're going to be challenged. You're going to be asked to be put to death. You're going to have to make that choice to die to self. You're going to have to make that choice to listen to conviction. That's tough. That's the working part. That's the, the hard business. But you've already got the hard part down. If you're willing to do all those things that we've been talking about, man, sanctification is going to be a 
a snap. Now, why don't we stay sanctified? <laughs> why is it after we die to self, we receive the Holy Spirit, that we don't stay okay? Why is it that we go? Someone asked me the question. I forgot who it was. And several people asked. Every lecture, someone asked me this question. Why don't we stay that way? Well, that's what our next lecture is going to be all about. We're going to see why we don't stay that way and how we can stay that way. We talked about how to be sanctified and what it is now. Our next lecture after the break, we're going to talk about how to stay sanctified. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. We're going to look at how to win that sucker every single time. You'll never fail, I promise you. I've never been beaten once until I try to do it some other way and then I get whooped just like that every time I fail. So that's going to be our next lecture. So I, I want to close with this idea. I think and I assert to you that what the church is waiting for. Yes, God is waiting for the reproduction of the character of Christ in his people. And then he'll come. He is waiting for that. But the way that we'll receive that is not by focusing so much on the list in sanctification. It'll be by focusing on those steps of justification. It'll be by focusing on sinner's need coming to me, conviction, repentance, and dying to self. That's how the character of Christ will be reproduced in his church. Then he can come and get us. So let's have closing prayer, and then we'll take a break. I'm always finished a little bit early. I haven't got that time back yet from y'all. But we'll have a time to saturate, some prayer time, and then when we come back, we're going to finish up. And then Mary might be able to tell y'all how we can get, y'all can get this whole full seminar later. Um, let's have prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we truly see that sanctification is an integral process of the gospel. But we are overemphasized on it. We've got it out of whack. And we've got to get focused back on the steps that lead to the justified experience. That we might have a true sanctification. That we might have a real list keeping, a real work in our life. And God, I pray that you would help us to see the simplicity of this truth and begin to practice it, engage these steps on a daily basis that we truly may receive the latter rain and be that final generation. God, may you bless us to this end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.